Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Wednesday, June 26th. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 34, the second paragraph that starts with, for those who are able. Today's readers are Julie, Michelle, Sharon, Fran, Rose, and Margaret. The reference number for yesterday, June 25th, Tuesday, June 25th, is 4688. That is 4688. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, Amy. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Rose. I will now call on Margaret to read the 12 traditions, please. 
Good morning, Amy. Uh, for you. This is Recover from South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle principles for personalities. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 34 in the chapter More About Alcoholism, the second paragraph beginning with For Those Who Are Able. I will ask Julie to please begin the reading. Hi, I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever. Yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Um, you know, I, I love reading any paragraph because I just see Julie through everything. Um, you know, I know I, I can never eat moderately. 
no matter how I tried. Um, it, would, it could be 10, 20, 30, 40 different diets. Even when I became abstinent in program, it was only for a short period. And it's because it was that non-spiritual basis. I love that. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose. I had lost that many years ago, and I didn't understand that. I, I kept on trying to get it back if I could only find the right diet, if I could only find the right therapist, if I could only find the right OA format. That was going to be my way out, you know, my way to normal eating. And, you know, when I left OA, it was out there for about two and a half years. Um, I tried many of those. And I had every time I would you know, maybe last three weeks and then take a bite. Then I would last two weeks and I would take a bite. Then I could even put a couple of days together. And that was because, that you know, I, I am that real overeater. Uh, so there's nothing else that's really going to work for me. Uh, and my spirituality, you know, I always um, said that I was spiritual and I did do practices, but not like I do now. Um, I, I try to bring God into everything. I say try because um, I'm not quite there yet. But yeah, you know, it didn't matter um, what I tried. I would always end up face down in the food until I really got to figure out what uh, my real problem was. And you know, the good thing about finding what your real problem well, what your real problem is is that you have a real solution, and that's right here in these books. So with that, I will pass. Thank you, Julie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning, everyone. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. And, of course, I I desired to stop, and my... um, but there was this but always there that I wanted to stop until I lost all the weight. And then I thought I would be able to drink like a normal person or for me to eat like a normal person and have the foods that I enjoyed in small quantities. I thought that that was my goal. So really I was surrendering um, on a temporary basis. I was not completely surrendering. I didn't um, understand that I, you know, as has been said uh, recently on the line, that I had become a pickle and I could no longer go back to being a cucumber. I am a compulsive overeater and it doesn't matter how long I stay um, abstinent, how long I'm at a goal weight, how long I abstain, if that is all I'm doing, I will go back to that um, out-of-control way of living and, you know, the mental obsession will return if I don't keep working on the spiritual part of um, of this program. And, you know, this line, this is a baffling, baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And, you know, I that's what... Um, it became for me, you know, it became a runaway train. And, you know, when I think of a runaway train, I think of, you know, uh, Westerns where 
you know, the train is just going out of control and then it, the, the train track isn't there and it just goes over a cliff. And that's how it is for me when I pick up the food. It's not, you know, this casual thing that I can um, control. It is completely out of control. And to think that I am suddenly going to wake up one day and to have that control back is the insanity of this disease. And, you know, the great news is I only had to have enough willingness for the day. I only have to have enough willingness for today to put down the food. And that desire is not here anymore. And I did not believe that that would ever happen for me. I couldn't imagine you know, life without food. And I couldn't imagine that my life was going to uh, be one where I wouldn't have that, that mental obsession. But I don't. Uh, this program, you know, the merciless obsession has been lifted from me. And that is through the grace of God and working this program every day, um, not in a way that is white-knuckling and you know, just holding my breath till the next um, meal, but living life on life's terms every single minute of every day. And, you know, that takes a surrender that does not have a but behind it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Judy B. Judy B. And then Rose, please. Go ahead, Judy. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. I, I just have to read this sentence again. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. This just reminds me of the insanity that was part of my life for over two decades. I mean, I just think of all the times uh, during those years when I was told by doctors, I was, um, I was told that it was important to lose weight, you know, because um, I was dealing with some health issues, and, and uh, it was unhealthy for me to be where I was at. And yet, day after day after day, month after month after month, year after year, I continued to use food. And... Thank goodness that I've um, found the answers in the big book that I that I now understand, you know, that it, it is a disease, you know, that I had an allergy of the body and a mental obsession beyond any human control. And um, this, this just uh, reinforces for me how important it is to, to remember those days. You know, there really was an inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. It just, you know, there there are parts of me that can't believe I, I was in that insanity, but I was for years and years and years. And uh, I am just so grateful, so grateful that there is a solution and that um, we do not have to live that way. We do not have to continue in that terrible, terrible downward spin. So I'm just, I'm grateful for uh, for what this program teaches us, and I'm grateful to be reminded of what it was like, because sometimes, you know, it, it uh, it's not right there in, in my mind, but this, 
this brings it up again, and I realize how very fortunate I am to be part of this program and to have this new way of life. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Uh, Rose, go ahead, please. Thank you, Amy. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, This paragraph shouts very, very loudly at me, um, reminding me where I've come from, starting with the sentence, whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Um, I most definitely had lost the power to choose, and that was for um, about 65 years of my life. I had lost the power whether I would um, eat sanely or not. I was powerless over eating sanely. Many of us felt we had plenty of character. I certainly did. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever. I certainly did. Yet we found it impossible. I absolutely found it impossible. I admitted I was powerless over food. Um, I admitted my life was unmanageable. And I still... Uh, This brings me to the next sentence. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism, compulsive overeating as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity of the wish. And what is so clear to me after having completed these steps is that my utter inability to leave it alone is because I had never come to believe that a power greater than Rose could restore me to sanity. I operated as if I was my own God in actuality. Intellectually, I would have denied it, but in actuality, I operated as if I was God and I was going to beat this situation. I was going to win out on my own unaided will, I was going to figure it out because I certainly wasn't going to give up the food um, unless I absolutely had to. And the thing that took place is that um, due to this utter inability to leave it alone, I saw I had no other solutions but to turn to a power that I actually didn't know that I thought I knew and asked this higher power to do it for me. And that's when the rest of the program flooded in for me. Thank you, Amy. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Okay, I heard Melanie, I heard Sam, and then we can go from there. Melanie, go ahead. Hi, Amy. Raquel, too, after everybody. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Melanie. Good morning, Amy. Thank you. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overheater here in Oregon. Um, It feels like to me that this particular um, paragraph is inserted here to to kind of set up the next one, and it um, says to me here in the very first sentence, the difference between um, a non-alcoholic and an alcoholic. Drink moderately. An alcoholic doesn't drink moderately. So how are we going to stop altogether? That's the, that's the alcoholic. And I think it's saying here that it's setting it up, of course, more about alcoholism. So we're going to set it up with the first sentence saying, 
moderate drinker, eh, not the alcoholic. Can't do it all together, the alcoholic. So there's a distinction more about alcoholism. I'm going to go on to tell you to set it up here on this idea that if you are alcoholic, you, ca- you cannot recover unless it's on a spiritual basis. And so then it goes on to, to give a little bit more information around the, um, the fact that another piece of distinction between the two, and just very, it's still subtle to me, but it's a real distinction between the two. If I can't stop altogether, eh, not moderate drinker, I'm the, you know, I'm the alcoholic here. It's a spiritual basis. And then, okay, so you're going to tell me a little bit more. Yeah, you had successes here and there and everywhere. And, and, um, and, and you know, this part and that part, I have good character. You know, maybe I showed up on time to, to, um, to work. Maybe I showed up to, uh, you know, showed up to a, a, a situation where I said I was going to volunteer for. You know, maybe that was in somebody's character. It certainly wasn't mine. But maybe it was in yours. The point of the matter here is we're talking about alcohol and alcoholism, and it's that piece. You know, we're going to get it down to maybe your life wasn't blown up in front of your face because of all the things you did like I did. So you don't have a lot to point to, but if you can't stop, the difference between a normal drinker and a non-normal drinker, an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic, a moderate drinker and an alcoholic, is that when I want to, in a tremendous urge, I cannot put it down forever. And the desperate cry that I had coming in these rooms, it can't happen. I've tried for 50 years. How in the world am I going to put this thing down? I think that's the biggest fear and the largest step for me when coming into these rooms. And with that, I thought. Thank you, Melanie. Now, there, I think there was a Sam. Did I hear a Sam? Was it a Sam? No, I said, Bella, can I share? No, I think there was a Raquel as well. I'm sorry, it's difficult hearing. Hello? Yes, was that Hello? Raquel? Yes, yes. Hello, Go ahead, Hello, Raquel my dear and then friend. Bella. And, and hi, Amy. Amy is leading, right? Yes, Amy, go ahead, Raquel. Everybody, you, you, you guys are my anchor these days. Um and and for many days already, and I I enjoy not just enjoy, but the soul is going through a whole rebirth listening, especially to these chapters at the beginning. Uh, I don't even know what I want to exactly say, except that it's just so so this utter inability to live it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. That I remember in 1989 when uh, after a very difficult period that I had to go to a treatment center because I just couldn't continue my life. But I remember that um, my son, who was in 12th grade, would uh, wake up in the morning and find the scene on the counter, just like a drunk with the bottle and the glasses there, only for me it was the coffee cup, the sweet and low, the diet margarine container, and the crumbs of the bagel that he wanted to take with him for lunch the next day. And he was already so much taller than me, like two heads taller. It's not too hard to do when mommy's such a little thing. And he would grab me by the shoulders and just kind of gently shake me and say, Mom, I don't mind the bagel. I'll get something for lunch. But why are you doing this to yourself night after night? You know what it does to you. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. 
Yes, it was a difficult time in my life. Yes, it was crisis time, and it was, and I was teaching in a school that was absolutely impossible for me to continue. And at the end of that year, I ended up just lying on the couch and looking at the ceiling and crying. Uh, uh, and and I had to go to a treatment center, which is um, for me what it did is it showed me that you don't die if you don't eat. It was difficult, but this utter inability, the demoralization of having made a decision and not being able to stick by it, what helped me very much uh, later on, I, I don't know, God kind of worked with me slowly and gently, and he showed me that actually I was idol worshiping. I was bowing down to that food, especially the starch, and almost I had to like say, Oh, uh, holy beggar, what thou do for me what God cannot? And I could go straight to him. And I really came out of that treatment center and had a good piece of time, I mean time. For me, one year of abstinence was the most. I have now, with your help, with God's help, and I still can't believe it, the miracle of four and a half years and 15 days of of uh, clean abstinence, but recovery, I... He's taking it away, bit by bit. He's taking away the craziness. And I'm so, so very grateful. And by myself, there's just absolutely no way. But this, you know, I I just talk to everybody about this thing of us holding hands around the globe, holding hands with each other and helping each other to, uh, to not let the liar come into our ear all the time that 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 insane liar that tells me that if I feel some kind of hunger now, anything spiritual, emotional, that anxiety, fear, whatever that masquerades as physical hunger, that if I eat something, it's going to get better. And it's happening, and I'm very, very, very grateful. Be all blessed. Thank you so much, and I thank Thank you. Uh, Bella, go ahead, and then we'll move on. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you very much for this wonderful meeting, and thank you very much for everybody that you are there. Now that I am, thank God, in the program, I can see that all my life I was busy with me and I, me and I, and I am the only one that can manage my life. I will decide when I want to lose weight, and I will decide how much and how can. And, you know, unfortunately, I always was playing like a yo-yo. I was losing and gaining double. And every time I was blaming only myself. And the people around me also even gave me the the power that, yes, blame myself. I am not losing weight because... I cannot do it because I am not strong enough because I am a baby that I'm running to the food. And yes, I knew that there is God, but I did with God a a deal, you know? I will let you go in my life whenever I want. And yes, sometimes I am stronger than you. And yes, and this is what I thought all my life, that I cannot lose weight because of me. I am not good enough. I am not strong enough. 
And when I came the first time to the program and I heard people talking about God, I said, oh, those people are really retarded. You know, I know God, but still I know better than him what means to lose weight. And when I came to the program, I said to myself, okay, this is a program that only to lose weight. And then I am out of here. I want to see if this program can help me to lose weight. And then when I came one, one time and then the second time, and then when I started to realize, hey, Bella, wait a minute, there are something else beside you and yourself. You know, there is God that, yes, he has the power and he has the control and it's nothing to do with you. And the losing weight is not only to lose weight regarding the food. There are other issues that are connected to the food. And wow, it's such a miracle that I know that, yes, thank God I have a higher power that I am calling him God, and he is there for me. I just have to ask him. I just have to have the willpower to be connected to him. And, yes, I cannot lose weight without him. I can do my effort. I can just show my willpower, and then the rest is up to God. I just have to ask God Please help me. And it's not that I have to have God only now and only for this issue. I have to be connected to God 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's everything, it's all over. And yes, yes, by this that I am giving over my life to God, this when I see my power, yes, I can admit now I am a human being and, you know, I, I don't have the control and I will never have the control. And it's, it's such a wonderful feeling to be connected to God. It's such an empowering thing the spiritual way. And yes, without the spiritual way, the life is not life. And now that I am, thank God, in the program, my, my life changed. My life changed, and it's nothing to do only with food. The food is only a part of my life. My whole life changed. My whole attitude changed. I started to love myself the way I am to respect myself the way I am, and I, I can respect others too the way they are. And it's such a miracle that I went out of my own jail. I put myself all my life in a jail. Bella, and Bella, 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 I'm going to need you to wrap up, hon. Can you wrap up, please? Yes, so thank you very much for letting me share, and by this I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Bella. Okay, we're going to move on. Michelle, could you please read? Yes, good morning, Amy. Good, good morning, everyone. This is Michelle H. Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, God. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? 
the experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. And, um, you know, that last, those last few words, the crux of the problem, um, describing that mental state. And um, the Big Book Dictionary or Concordance says the crux is defined as a most important point, a most important point, or innermost significance. And um, this was the most important point um, that was brought to me um, when the message of recovery, um, when I was ready to receive it, when I was in a state of desperation. This was the part that was the most important point to me. And um, as stated in the first part of the paragraph, that um, the experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, um, and that's what I did. I experimented with quitting um, using willpower, using a food plan, um, certainly not on a spiritual basis. Um, I was relying on human aid at that point, and I could have continued that experiment of quitting um, on and on and on um, because as we're learning and as I've learned is that um, you know just addressing the physical part, the physical allergy is not enough, and that's what I kept experimenting with was that physical allergy, putting the food down, and I would eventually pick up why, um, because the most important part, the crux of the problem, is the mental state that would precede me picking up again, and um, I remember it so vividly. You know how how my mind lied to me. You know, two years of being abstinent. Um, I realized that's what I was relying on, abstinence, my own human aid. And um, my mind lied to me as I sat there and looked at what had been my binge food since I was 12 years old. And my mind said after two years, um, you know, if you mix a little protein um, with that, it's going to be fine. You can do this. And that started me back down into that downward spiral um, until seven months later. Um, I was desperate, and the message was carried to me. Michelle, you have this mental blank spot, was what the person used to describe it, that no matter how much you want to quit, no matter how much you apply um, and look at that physical allergy, you've got this mental blank spot, uh, and that no human aid has a defense against it. And um, it reminded me on the bottom of page 43 that this, this drove it home for me. The alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. And then here's the solution, his defense. Here is my solution, too. His defense must come from a higher power. Um, And and that was proven to me and and driven home to me. And so it is a greater service, you know, to find out in this chapter that the most important point You know, the crux of the problem is this mental state. It certainly um, delivered me. It was the other part, the piece that was missing that I didn't know about. And I would have kept on experimenting uh, with quitting. And so, uh, you know, the solution, my willingness to um, follow the directions of these steps because uh, it was shown to me that I did need, you know, for me I was hopeless unless I, you know, found a spiritual basis to recover with a solution, relying on God. And so what has made a difference for me this time? 
um, the turning point. Um, it's just exactly what this paragraph has been for me, a turning point, and that now I rely on a power greater than myself in all matters um, of my life instead of relying on things human. And that has made the entire change in me, the entire difference um, from when I picked up in March of 2010 uh, to the kind of life that has been provided for me for this transformation of working the steps. And so, yes, indeed, I am what I am a real compulsive overeater. I, I do belong to this category of requiring um, recovery on a spiritual basis. And thanks for allowing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. I'm going to jump in here. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? Well, as we've read in the last couple of paragraphs, we've been addressing the issue that once we put the substance into our body, we have this abnormal reaction and we can't stop. And they've been reinforcing and reinforcing that even over time, 30 years even, you know, that once we put the substance into our system, we create that abnormal reaction. If we are truly a compulsive overreader and we cross that line where willpower no longer works and the only, the only remedy is the spiritual, the spiritual remedy that is offered through these 12 steps, that, you know, that this is an analogy that we're gone. But now they're moving to the greater, the crux of the problem, that even beyond the physical allergy, even if you are convinced that you cannot put the substance into your body because you know, like for me, I know if I put sugar into my body, I cannot stop. You know, I cannot stop. I have an allergic and an abnormal reaction. I've, I've got that down, and they've got that down. They have reinforced that brilliantly here. I could never stop and stay stopped. That's why they always say in that prior paragraph, the question is how to stop altogether. Yes, I could stop, but I could never stay stopped because of that allergy. But now we get to the crux of it, and they're going to give us descriptions and examples of this mental obsession. You know, it talks about it in the first step. If we are true compulsive overeaters, if you are a compulsive overeater like I am, I have warped my mind into such obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence, and for me, providence meaning God, can remove it from me, that my mind is warped when it comes to food. That is the greater aspect of this disease. The physical allergy notwithstanding, I understood when I put the substance in that I couldn't stop, but what kept, what kept bringing me to the refrigerator five bites into the binge going, how the hell did I get here? You know, so what they're going to do is they are setting it up to describe and even continue to smash home the greater aspect, or in this paragraph, if you will, the crux of the problem, which is what is between my two ears, the mental obsession, the warped thinking that I have when it comes to food and eating. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else care to share on what was read, please? This is Leah. I heard Janet and then Leah. Good morning, Amy. This is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So what are we studying here today? We're studying more about alcoholism. And this is a teaching volume. You know, thank God it is a teaching volume that has been educating me clearly, step by step, what it is that's wrong with me. 
because I did not know what was wrong with me. For years, decades, I went from attempt to attempt, diet to diet, some reasonable, some insane, but I kept on trying. But I had reached that point where it had gone from habit to obsession and there was no turning back. But I did not know that. I did not know that. And so we study this volume because it tells us if you are like me, if you are a compulsive overeater of my type, then it's going to educate us in exactly what is wrong with us. And we're going to be able to relate. And it's been telling us in the last couple paragraphs, you know, if we are the kind of reader who's reading this volume because we're quote-unquote interested in, in what it has to say, you know, there's some 200 and some of us on the line this morning, and we are the readers who are interested in what this volume has to say. And why are we interested? If you're anything like me, you came desperate. You came desperate, finally willing to look anywhere like this volume for an answer to what was wrong with me. And if it had been only the physical allergy of my body, Never could I have won and be satisfied. Then I, I would chase that control. Control and enjoy. Control and enjoy. That's what I wanted, but I'd lost it. But I'd lost it. And so now it's telling me they're going to describe some of the mental states which precede a relapse into drinking. Because once the food is down, once I am not ingesting those binge foods, why don't I just stay stopped? Why can't I just stay in that place? Because there was no ease and comfort in that place. I was hanging on by my fingernails if I could hang on at all. Because sooner or later the inevitable would happen in my brain, my thinking, all action is born in thought and my thinking would lead me back to the food. And so they're going to tell me here, why is it that's the crux of my problem. Why is it that my thinking is so warped? And what can I do about it? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Leah, go ahead, please. Hey, Amy, good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to just uh, focus in on this statement here. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking for obviously this is the crux of the problem. It's the, it's the most important point. Um, some of the mental states. So this has to do with my mind. This is related to my mind. This is a disorder of my mind. This is the way I'm thinking. All action is born in thought. I mean, that 9, nine by 13 uh, tray of brownies didn't just catapult itself off the counter and down my throat. I I instructed my hand to reach out. I invited it back in. Um, you know, the inability of the alcoholic to stop drinking once he starts is really of little practical importance here, provided, of course, that he doesn't start to begin with. So it's that mental state that precedes that first drink the decision to invite it back in. And most of Chapter 3 is going to be devoted to examples of people who believed a particular lie that they could safely drink, or in our case, safely eat. 
And that is the insanity that the big book is talking about. The big book is not talking about the insanity once the alcoholic has, uh, you know, thrown a few drinks down, down his gullet. Anybody who drinks alcohol to excess is going to have some consequences. They may slur their words. They may urinate on themselves. They may dance upon a table. Uh, they're all going to have some type of reaction to alcohol. The insanity that the big book is talking about is the insanity that you can't see the truth and you can't act on the truth. Insanity doesn't necessarily mean you're a raving mani- maniac or that you need to be put away. It just means that you're not quite all there. Uh, they may be intelligent. Uh, we may be perfectly sane in all areas, other areas of our lives. We might make right decisions and take right actions when it comes to other things. But with alcohol, for the alcoholic, they have difficulty seeing the truth and acting on the truth. They believe that they can safely drink even though they have decades or years of evidence against, against that. And that is true for me as a compulsive overeater. You know, I'm not stupid. I'm fairly a bright person. I have a fairly good memory. Um, but, you know, and, and binge foods had burned me over and over and over and over again. But for some strange reason, left to my own devices and my own resources, I could not remember what compulsively overeating did to me. I just would focus in on what it would do for me. You know, and when I said I wasn't going to act like that anymore, and when I said I wasn't going to eat like that anymore, I really meant it. But you know what? Then I ate again, and again, and again, and again. And that's what the big book is talking about. That decision that we make, the insanity appears in the conscious, sober mind of the alcoholic. You know, it is a decision that is being made to pick up despite the pain. It's like my pain has no memory. I can't remember the suffering of of the night before. I can't remember the tears. I couldn't remember the torture. I couldn't remember the suicidal thinking. I couldn't remember the divorce threats. The only thing I can remember is the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once after I take a a few bites. That's the insanity that the big book is talking about, the insanity of the mind, of the thinking, of the thinking. All action is born in thought. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Margaret. Go ahead, Margaret. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Recovered in um, South Jersey here. I I was just looking at that word, obviously, you know, but obviously um, this is you know, what this is the problem. And I thought, how did I miss that word? I had no clue. 30 years in the program, 30 years reading this book a lot of the time. And I think to myself, like, what a miracle that was that Bill, you know, uh, finally realized that he saw that that was the crux of the problem. And that, you know, thank God that this, this meeting teaches it. I mean, I had to learn Every, I had to unlearn everything I had learned in the program, and I had to relearn. You I mean I didn't know I didn't know the allergy of the body, so I didn't have to unlearn that part like we were talking about. But I had no clue, and you know I just was looking at that word, and I obviously, and I thought, wow, you know, thank God that he was able to see that, that that his eyes were open, that he could see that, and he could share it, and thank God that that is shared. That is the crux of the problem. 
because I'll tell you, for 30 years, I had no clue. And uh, I'm very grateful today. Thank you, and I pass. This is Lois. Could I share? Uh, Paula, go ahead, please, then Lois. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, so much has already been said, and boy, I'm listening to every word. But see, listening wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. My Even my ears, what I heard, I was deceived by because I wanted to. I didn't want to see the truth, and I didn't want to hear the truth. But here the truth is spoken. And may I look at that first line? How then, how then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction, not mine, whether they are one of us, the last thing I wanted to be? The last thing, whether they are one of us, until you come to that place to know who you are, you will continue to stay in the place you are. You cannot move forward. And then it gives you, and I'm going to leave it at that, the experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful. Well, Lord knows it was helpful. It was always a period of time. Oh, I would even use that word, oh, one day at a time, yeah, one day at a time. That was it. No, it didn't say that here. It said forever. Forever. I couldn't do that. I couldn't say that. But then it says will be helpful. But we think we can render an even greater service to the alcohol sufferer and perhaps to the medical fraternity, and that they did. And as it says, on working with others, and there's where we are, to be helpful is our only aim. My, did they aim well. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Lois, please go ahead. This is Lois, a um a real compulsive <laughs> um overeater in Massachusetts and um yes, I, I just had to um comment upon the so many wonderful, deep deeply meaning things that have been said. But for me, as I was listening, I, I thought that I had surrendered. You know, I, I too have been around probably about thirty years as well. And I, I was always a seeker, but you know, I was seeking everything intellectually. And I could read about, you know, I didn't have the power to do that. I could read it. I could comprehend it. And I would, you know, psychologically ask God to help me. But what was going on with my, I didn't really understand um, what I was really up against, uh, that this obsession of the mind, you know, was not able to um, be honest with myself, that I kept, I kept having different levels of surrender. That, that's what worked for me. It didn't work for me, but it kept me, you know, trying to work the program, trying, 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 until I get sick of trying, sick of tired 25 or 30 years later of trying and not making it. You know, the insanity of doing that over and over again, you know, uh, it was torture. And just, just like everybody else has said, you know, I... I came, I came to, and I came to believe. And it wasn't until I really heard and was able to absorb, and I know that this was God's grace, I was able to absorb, you know, that I really can't do it. Lois, stop trying, you know, just stop trying. And I did stop trying. I reached out to a a recovered compulsive overeater, and I believe that that was God's grace that helped me make that leap of faith. And But it was also the very, very, gracious, important gift of desperation. 
you know, I had to be willing to give up, to total surrender, and I had to really know what I was up against and and understand it. You know, I had to surrender. So for me, that was the process, and um, it'll happen. It's happening to all of us here, all in different times and different levels. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Lois. We've got time for one or two more. Would anyone like to share on what was read, please? Monica. Kim. Okay, Monica, and then we'll wrap up with Kim. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And here in the chapter, more about alcoholism, and this whole chapter has to deal with the mental obsession part of our disease, the greater aspect of our disease. In this paragraph, they says, well, then, how then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether, are, whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful. So we read about that earlier here um, a couple days ago about, you know, why don't you move on into the, the kitchen there and try a little experimentation? Well, what does that prove to you? That will prove to you whether you have the physical allergy to certain foods. That's the physical aspect, that type of experimentation. So then you can say, uh, yeah, I, I, I have an issue here with food, but that's not our problem. It's not the food, because the food part is easy. You put it down. You don't ever eat a binge food again, and that takes, takes care of the physical allergy. But now they're saying the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem, the crux, the core, the most important part of our disease is the mental obsession part that we all know, you know, it tells us this is the best idea we've had all day to pick up this thing. It'll be different this time. They want us to learn that it's not the food, it's the mental part of our insanity, our thinking, our disease that brings us back to the food every time, even when we're abstinent for however many years that might be. The mental insanity. And through our history here, and they're going to show further on this book, they're going to give us lots of examples of how nothing, absolutely nothing I could do was successful against this mental obsession. Not all my knowledge, my determination, my strength, my willpower, nothing. I am totally powerless over this, and this is why I need God. So they're going to, you know, they're trying to get us to, to, to understand here and identify. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. And Kim, let's wrap it up. Thanks, Amy. Um, good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So the mental state, the mental state that precedes a relapse into drinking. Because really, if food was really our problem, then we would simply put the food down and everything would be okay. You know, I have that other allergies. I'm allergic to penicillin. You know, I know when someone asks me what I'm allergic to, I tell them penicillin. I don't have to go into a room and talk about not having penicillin. When I go to the doctor and I'm sick and he wants to give me 10 milligrams of a medicine, I don't negotiate with him and say, you know what, can I have two milligrams of penicillin? Because maybe I have a threshold. I have a threshold. Of, maybe if I could say under three milligrams. 
but isn't that the mental state that I use? I try to negotiate how I can weasel in my binge food. So it's the mental state that is the crux of the problem because the solution to our problems is the food. Food isn't my problem. Food is my solution. And that mental state will promise me I will have that solution. That mental state will tell me this solution of the food will work this one more time. So what are some of those promises? What are some of those promises that that mental state tells us? It tells us when we're looking at that cellophane bag, when we're looking at that face food box, just listen, you will be amazed before you are halfway through. You are going to know the freedom and new happiness. Just pick up the food. You will not regret the past or wish to shut the door if only you pick up that food. You will know the word, comprehend the word serenity, and then you, will, you will know peace. I know you're upset right now. I know you're restless. I know you're irritable. I know you're discontent. But that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear if you pick up the food. Your whole attitude and outlook will change if you pick up the food. I know you're afraid, but the fear of people and economic insecurity will leave you. And I know you don't know what to do, but if you pick up that food, you will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And those are our nine-step promises. Those are the promises we will get if we walk through these steps because the mental state will be removed because we were reunited with God. But if we do not have that, these promises we read in so many meetings is the reason the mental state is so strong because our mental state will tell us the food is the solution. The food will be those promises that we will be able to seek if we do not walk through these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim, and thank you everyone who has shared, especially our readers, Julie, Julie, Michelle, Sharon, Fran, Rose, and Margaret. Thank you very much. Uh, we will now close with a reading of the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, could you please read a vision for you? I sure can, Amy. Thank you very much. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us, for we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. This is Sharon, and 